All right. Now, just by way of recap, we've already dealt with the issue. Of course, our study is what? Abortion. Let's call it what it is. The mass murder of children. Okay. And we're in part four tonight. We've already dealt with the history of the abortion, the mass murder of children movement. Okay. And we saw that it's based on the live evolution. We saw biblically, unfortunately, it stems from Romans chapter one. We are going down the same unfortunate route. Number one, you say that God does not exist. You have the audacity to do that, even though he gives you tons of information. And that's what we've done in our country with buying into the lie of evolution. It's not even just buying into the lie. Now that's all you ever get. There used to be an option. Right? But what happens after that? Romans chapter 1 says once you get into that stage, you're going to get into an extremely immoral society. And that's what's happened, right? In the early 60s when that started to take over, it didn't take long, right? With all that stuff going on, very immoral. Then it says you're going to get into uh, condoning and supporting homosexuality and lesbianism. Romans chapter 1. Are we at that stage yet? Big time's been there for quite some time, unfortunately. Then it says you keep doing that, and it's going to get super-duper dark. You're going to give an over to a depraved mind. You're going to start to do things that ought not to be done. And can I tell you something? Murdering 60-plus million children ought not to be done. But again, because it's also based on the live evolution, that that's not a child, that's just a blob of tissue. Okay, that's, that's not a baby, it's a fetus, it's a lie. Okay, but we saw the history of that. Then we also saw the second part was the motive. The motive of the abortion industry, the child murder, mass murder child uh, industry. And we saw that the motive was what? Money, money, money. And what we see, the scripture says, that's a danger. You better beware. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And folks, murdering children to become a millionaire so you can buy that Lamborghini. Remember that video? Now that is serious evil. But that's what's going on, massive money. And not just the procedures themselves to kill the children, they're becoming millionaires off of it, selling the baby body parts, okay, as we saw that. Then we saw last time the church. Where's the church in all this? I mean, surely we're standing up strong and, and we're defending and, yeah. Either the church, frankly, is hiding their head in the sand and not even dealing with this, okay? Again, when's the last time you hear this even ever brought up, let alone a study like we're doing ever brought forth? In the church today. But then we saw the horrific news, if you could believe it. Uh, there's actual so-called churches and so-called Christians that are actually supporting abortion. And they're actually having the audacity to come out, the words out of their mouth. Excuse me? Asking God to bless murdering children. And we're saying, well, how can that be? Well, because we did the study scripturally, not everybody who professes to know Christ really belongs to Christ. There's all kinds of fake Christians, fake churches out there. Just because you got a steeple in a building, just because you went to seminary, just because you walked an island, it'll make you a Christian. Right? Scripture is very clear. And I got, folks, I got a problem. I don't know somebody's heart. But if you're going to sit there and actually voice this out of your mouth, and it actually makes it out of your mouth, and you ask God to bless murdering children, and it's got your full support, I got a problem with that. Right? And I think what's going on is the church is so flooded with so many fake Christians, and I'm talking even behind the pulpit. Okay? Remember the ministers that were in there supporting, encouraging girls, saying it's your spiritual right to kill your child? And you got God's blessings on that? I'm sorry. I don't call you a pastor, right? That is not what a Christian would do. So that's what we saw. Now, tonight we're going to get into the fourth aspect, and that is we've got the history, we've got the motive, we've got the church. Now we're getting into the survivors, okay, of abortion, i.e. of murder attempts, okay, in the womb. Okay, now what we're talking about with the survivors, we're not talking about the men and women who actually attempted to murder their child, because that's what abortion is. Okay, we're talking about the actual children who survived their own murder attempt. Now, stop right there. Let that sink in a moment. We're talking about children who survived their own murder attempt. 
That's what we're going to deal with tonight. You wonder why, and you hear me say this all the time, you wonder why the wrath of God is not just coming. You wonder why the wrath of God is coming for seven years nonstop. Not seven minutes, not seven days, not seven months, but seven years nonstop to this planet. I think just this issue of murdering, mass murdering children is just one of the reasons why. You wonder why our country is going down the tubes. You wonder why, if you will, to use the phrase, our land is being polluted with such darkness and immorality. I think it has to do, a lot of it, with this sin of mass murdering children that they just want to call abortion. Okay? But don't take my word for it. Let's listen, guys. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read two opening texts tonight, right? Does God, uh, what happens when a nation and people, uh, what does it do to the land when people start murdering each other, not just adults, but children? Right? Let's take a look. Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 12. Now, this is, of course, the account of Cain and Abel. And why are we coming to this? Because this is the first account of the what? First murder. Okay. But let's take a look at what God has to feel about that and what consequences there are uh, when you're guilty of murder. Okay. Including the murder of children. Right. But uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 12 says this. Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel uh, kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel, listen to what he did. He brought fat portions, right? Now, that's, that's the best part. How many guys, when you get a steak, you just really like that grisly fat part, right? And that's the first thing you eat. I don't think she'd mind me saying this. Maybe she wouldn't. I'm going to get in trouble later. That's actually my wife's favorite part of the meat. She loves that fat. Right now, fat is actually where you get the good taste. If you want a good steak, you want some marbling in there. For those of you hooked on cow like me, <laughs> right? You want some of that fat. But but this is basically that's the good part. Right? It sounds weird to us, and we're all told, "Oh, get get rid of the fat." The fat's ugh, ugh. but he's bringing what? He's not just bringing portions to God. What's he bringing? Fat portions. He's bringing God the best, the best stuff. And he goes on to say, "See, man, he's giving the fat portions from some of the what? Firstborn." Oh, now we're talking like you know, basically veal. We're talking the young. Fresh meat, right? This is not some old age cow sitting there out in the hill, 900 years old, and you got to drag around in a wagon and can't walk no more. Not the, no, not that meat. We're talking, we're talking the best. Now, now, of course, so, so do you see the difference between the two? One just went, eh, whatever, here's some leftovers. But the other said, no, God, you get the best. But listen to the response. But Abel brought fat portions, okay, and then it says, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, what happened? He did not look on favor. Okay, why? Because all he gave God was just the leftovers. Man, that will preach. We don't give God leftovers. We don't give him our leftover time, our leftover treasure, our leftover talents, our leftover tongue. Yeah, if I got time for it. Ooh, let's close in prayer. No, let's keep going. Right? So he gave him leftovers, and what happened? So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast, right? Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is what? Right. Will you not be accepted? Give God the best. I mean, he's God. He deserves the best. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, Cain says to his brother Abel, Hey, uh, pal, let's what? Let's go out to the field. And while they're in the field, what happened? Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord, obviously God sees everything. Do you realize that God sees every child being murdered? See, people want to play that game. Well, it's inside. It's not really a baby. I'll get to that in a little bit. We can't see it, but God sees it. 
He sees the child. He was the one who gave that child at the moment of conception life. And he was there when the people started to literally either suck that child to pieces or tear it apart. But God, he says, hey, listen, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouched at your door. It desires to have you. You must master it. Okay? And then he goes out and he kills his brother and says, uh, the Lord said um, uh, to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? Wow, what audacity there. You can't hold me accountable. Right? Crazy. Then the Lord said, what have you, what, what have you done? Listen, your what? Your brother's blood what? cries out to me. Who's me? God. Your brother's blood, the blood that you spilled because you murdered him, cries out to me, God says, from the ground. Now, what's happening? You are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth, right? So God sees every murder that's going on and that it brings a curse upon the people who partake of it, and it curses uh, the land, and he was cast out. Now, that's the first murder, right? Now, let's fast forward to Numbers 35. Numbers 35. I'm sure you guys were just there yesterday. Yeah, Numbers 35. And uh, let's take a look at verse 30 through 33. Again, we're dealing with murders again. Numbers 30, or 35, verse 30 through 33, right? But the context, again, is murder, right? And what are you supposed to do? <clears throat> God takes it serious, right? So we saw that Cain, he was banished. He was cursed, okay, for killing his brother. Let's, let's fast forward, right? Verse 30 there, Numbers 35 says, what? Anyone who kills a person is to what? To be put to death as a murderer, only on the testimony of witnesses. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only uh, one witness, right? Because you want to make sure you get it right. Right? Now, do not accept a ransom for the life of murder. In other words, don't bribe some, you know, accept a bribe. Bribery doesn't go on today, does it, in the courtrooms? Yeah. Uh, uh, who deserves to die? He must surely be put to death. Do not accept a ransom for anyone who has fled to a city of refuge and so allow him to go back and live on his own land before the death of the high priest. And listen, what's he say again? Notice what happens to the land. Do not what? Pollute the land where you are. Well, what pollutes the land? What's he say? Bloodshed. From what? From murder. Bloodshed pollutes the land, and atonement cannot make, be made for the land on which the blood has been shed, except by the blood of the one who shed it. And then he goes on to say, of course, don't defile the land where you live, where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. Okay? So what we see is with murder, obviously that's something that God uh, does not like. He abhors it. There's stiff penalties when it comes to murdering somebody. Okay, be it an adult, be it a child. Murder is wrong. That's why you look at the Ten Commandments and what's right smack dab in the middle. Do not murder, okay, is what's going on there, uh, as we see in the Scripture, okay? So God takes it very serious. But, folks, that's exactly what is going on with abortion. And it's not just murder. It's the mass murder of people. And not just people... But the people who are the most vulnerable, the people who are the most uh, innocent, children, and it's the mass murder of them. So do you think that has any effect in polluting our society, if you will, polluting our land? Do you think that's inviting the curse, the judgment of God upon our nation and upon people who do that? Absolutely. 
Because God absolutely hates murder. And again, we're talking about not just one or two, a couple instances here. We already saw the stats. Over 60 million children have been mass murdered through this abortion movement. Okay, 1.5 billion, not million, 1.5 billion children have been murdered through abortion around the world. And God sees every one of them. So what is happening? Again, you wonder why the Israelites were exiled from the land, right? It's still their land, but God exiled. They went into captivity, okay? The land got polluted, okay? And the thing is, when you start to look at what's going on, not only early on in Numbers that you see that the Israelites were told do not murder in Exodus. Before that, you had the Ten Commandments that said you shall not murder. God gives stiff penalties for murder, right? And here's what you're supposed to do. Uh, If they murder someone, make sure you get your witnesses right, and it's legit, and they need to go too. You cannot let this go out of control, right? They know that. But not only did the Israelites not do that, they also violated what God says. When you go into the nations, the, the land that I give you, do not do and follow the detestable practices of those nations, He says, why? Because if you don't do it, or if you don't get rid of them, they're going to be uh, thorns in your eyes and barbs in your side, whatever, okay? And basically, they're going to seduce you to do what they do. Now, believe it or not, even though God repeatedly, from the Genesis account and Exodus with the Ten Commandments and just what we saw in Numbers, and here's even how, uh, in a a civil issue, how you're supposed to deal with murderers, if it were to unfortunately happen, they not only continue to do so, but they even themselves, listen, the Israelites got involved in child murder. Okay? See, ours today, we're repeating it today, ours today is called abortion. But all it is is the mass murder of children. Because we're taking it to a scale that is even beyond what happened with the Israelites. Okay? But they called it the worship of Molech. Okay, Molech is really what's going on here. Now, let me give you a picture of that of this, and this is really what was going on with this. And basically, you can see that giant idol there of Molech, uh, and you could see that there was a fire burning underneath, and it would heat that statue up uh, from the inside out. And they would literally throw children to Molech, and they would do it for personal gain, and uh, for personal convenience. Exactly the same thing is being done today. But this is the very thing that they were doing. Now, let me give you a couple of variances in case you're looking. It was also called not just Molech, as you can see there, M-O-L-E-C-K. It was also Moloch, uh, M-O-L-O-C-H. Also, you can see in the scriptures the same entity, uh, Milcom, M-I-L-C-O-M, or Malcolm, M-A-L-C-A-M. Now, the word actually meant king or literally great king. This is what they thought was their great king. And this great king needed to be appeased by murdering children. Okay, and this is what the Israelites, the scripture talks about this repeatedly. I'll get to this in a second, okay? Now, uh, rabbinical tradition depicted Molech as a bronze statue heated with fire into which the victims were thrown, i.e. babies, okay? In fact, this is not some myth, this is not glamorizing, quote, archaeological excavations since the 1920s have produced evidence for child sacrifice, so there's tons of evidence. This is exactly what's going on. It's not some hearsay or anything of that nature. Now, what they did is when they put the kids there into, and it was into the arms of Molech as he was heated up super hot, okay, uh, they called that passing through the fire, okay, was the practice that they called that, that the, the, the offerings are passing through the fire, and again, they're, they're children. And they want to make it, and this is, listen, guys, this was an act of, quote, worship, so-called worship, 
This is what the nations were doing that God says, don't have any part to do with this. Okay, don't follow their detestable practices. Don't do this. You know, and when you get in there, you better clean house and clean the land or they're going to suck you in. And that's exactly what happened. The Israelites got involved in this. I'm not talking just the pagan nations around them. The Israelites got involved in the mass murder of children. Now, uh, first they would just do, you know, one or two at a time. Uh, Then they would actually put more and more in there. Uh, And uh, in fact, uh, every time, listen to this, a child was placed uh, into the hot, literally molten hot arms of that statue, Molech, the priest would spread out their hands too towards his outstretched hands, the statue, and say this, quote, they are not men, but oxen, 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 repeatedly. So they literally treated the babies like they were just a cattle sacrifice. And then they would exclaim, listen to this, to this statue, Molech, Lord, eat. Eat. Children. Burn them alive. And then, quote, they would call upon Molech to, listen, pour out rain and bring forth. So why were they doing this? Because they got convinced that this so-called statue, and that's all it was, but it's a demon. Every demon's behind every idol. The scripture's clear about that, right? But you're dealing with a demonic practice, okay? But they did it because they believed that that thing was going to give them prosperity. Sound familiar? Same thing that's going on today. Then the victims, uh, listen, here's what it described. It got so hot. That fire was so hot, listen, that when the victims, i.e. babies, were scarcely at the edge of the opening, they disappeared like a drop of water on a red-hot plate, and white smoke rose amid the great scarlet color, i.e. the blood. They just went, it was so hot. Children, children. Nevertheless, quote, the appetite of the God was not appeased. He wished forevermore. In order to furnish him with a larger supply, the victims were piled up on his hands with a big chain above them, which kept them in place. Right? So, because you can't just do one. It's taking too long. And so they would chuck more and more kids. But now, how are you going to, they're going to, they're all, imagine the scene. And to keep them from falling off or going around and not being consumed, they would literally chain them in place. Watch this. Here's a couple of accounts. They attempted to make amends by sacrificing. Okay, the, the, these were the, the people with Molech. They, they first of all thought they made Molech mad. So they needed to appease him. They, so they made attempts to make amends by sacrificing 200 children of the best families at once. Now, how sick is that? That's not a god. That's a demon, right? But the real god, we, he deserves the best. And we have a tendency to give him leftovers like Cain. And yet here's these people worshiping an idol, a demon, with this egregious murderous behavior, and they're giving him the best. Do you see the twisted irony there? Then it goes on to say, and then they got so enthusiastic, they went ahead and sacrificed above and beyond that. Not 200, 300 children all at once. 300 children were sacrificed. Oh, and then this, it also states that the nobles had acquired and raised children not of their own for the express purpose of sacrificing them to Molech. So not only would they be willing to sacrifice their own children, but hey, you know, if you really want to get prosperous and have all this prosperity poured out upon you for your sake, then, I mean, you can only give birth so often. So they literally would get other kids and raise other kids from other people 
for sacrifices to this. This is really what went on there. And again, the Israelites got involved in this, right? Now it goes on to say, listen to this one. Uh, Another account, with full knowledge and understanding, they themselves offered up their own children, and those who had no children would buy little ones from poor people. What? And then, uh, meanwhile, the mother stood by without a tear or a moan. You know why? Because here's what was going on. Should she utter a single moan or let a, a, a single tear fall, she would forfeit the money that they paid her for her child, and the child would have been sacrificed anyway. So she had to sit there literally emotionless as her child is being burned alive. Or you don't get the what? Money. Sound familiar today? It's the exact same horrible procedure. I can't believe it's being repeated today, right? The whole area, listen to this, this is the issue. The whole area before the statue was filled with what? And you're thinking, how could people stand there as these babies are being chucked into this Molech thing uh, again and again and repeatedly? How could people stand there and deal with that? I mean, you're hearing children screaming vehemently and just being burned alive. Have you ever got burned? Imagine being put on a skillet is really what was going on. And multiple kids, and, and I hate to be graphic, but folks, this is what's going on. In the context of what we're dealing with, guess what? This is a graphic issue. But, but you would think, man, they, they would say, stop, stop, uh, any human. So you know what they did? They distracted people. Because they didn't want them to hear the cries of the children being burned alive. Listen to this. Here's what they would do. The whole area before the statue, Molech, was filled with a loud noise of flutes and drums that the cries of wailing should not reach the ears of the people. Isn't that Interesting. Folks, that's what's going on today. Right? You call it Planned Parenthood all you want. I call them ministers of Molech. That's really what's going on. It's the exact same thing that's going on. It's all about money. Right? And you know why people are not in an uproar? Because the media is distracting everybody from this issue. As we saw before, they do it in their very terminology. And maybe we'll get into a study on that, Lord willing. Again, you heard me, I think it was the very first study. When somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you mean to tell me you're against abortion? Yes, I am. I am very strongly against anyone who would murder a child. You mean to tell me you think that that, is, that fetus is viable? Yes, I believe that every child at the moment of conception is a real-life baby, and nobody has a right for that. You mean to tell me that a woman doesn't have a right to choose? No person, male or female, has a right to murder a child. You see, they're hiding. It's like, they played the flutes. Don't, don't look over here, because when you see what's really going on, then people will freak out. And that's the game that's being played on in their very verbiage. So don't fall for that. Number two, the media refuses to show what's going on. And then now we saw last week, the church refuses to show what's going on. So the only place you're going to get it is those of us who will stand up and speak in behalf of the innocent ones. Who are, and I'll show that picture again, who are being sacrificed by the millions to a modern-day Molech system called Planned Parenthood. That's what's going on. But they're trying to get us off of what's really going on because they know if the truth comes out and people begin to realize what's really happening to these children, the debate's over. Why do you see in the news that uh, uh, they, will, they refuse to show what is really happening to these children? 
If they were to show just one story for even 60 seconds, not even that, 30 seconds, of the remains of what's going on after murdering these children, done, case closed, right? It's over. Because any human person could see a pile of baby body parts and say, that ought not to be done. We've got to stop this right now. That's why they won't do it. Why do you think this is number four? And for those of you watching online currently, you better hurry up and download this when it's done. Because every single one of these studies is immediately being ripped off by YouTube. Yep. Every single, as fast as we can put them up there, they're ripping them off. Why do you think? I think somebody doesn't want the truth to go. So that's the same game that's being played uh, that's going on there. Okay, when you see what's going on. Uh, but again, you can see why God is totally abhorred by this. Okay. In fact, God not only told the Israelites, don't you dare murder, period, child or adult, and he gave stiff penalties because he does not like murder. Okay. But again, he told the Israelites repeatedly, whatever you do, don't you dare get involved in this Molech child sacrifice. Right. Let me just give you some of the scripture that talks about this. And God's very strong about it. Leviticus 18.21, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to what? Molech. Now, do you understand? How many times have you blown through that Christian as you read through the Bible and go, okay, Molech, yeah, whatever you're talking about. Do you get a better idea what's going on there? Right? And this is why God repeatedly says, don't be a part of this. It's sick. Right? But do not give any of your children, Israelites, to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God, I and the Lord. Right? Leviticus 22, say to the Israelites, any Israelite or any alien living in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, must what? Be put to death. Why? Because you're murdering children, is what's going on. And the people, uh, the people of the community are to stone him, put him to death, right? You cannot allow that to go on. Leviticus 23, God says, I'll set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from my people, for by giving his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. Does it sound like God's abhorred by this? Stiff penalties for this? Folks, this is the same thing that's going on today. Scripture called it Molech, child sacrifice. Today it's called Planned Parenthood, abortion. It's the exact same thing. Leviticus 24, if the people of the community... Oh, now this one's for those who know what's going on and refuse to do anything. That's us, folks. If the people of the community close their eyes when that man gives one of his children to Molech and they fail to put him to death, verse 5, I will set my face against that man and his family and will cut off from their people both him and all who follow him in prostituting themselves to Molech. So now you know what's going on, but you refuse to say anything about it. Uh, That's a judgment on people today, dare I say, who refused to talk about this. Wow. I mean, how many of you guys would say God takes this serious? Yeah, big time. Now, here's the good news, right? This is what King Josiah, if you're familiar, he was one of the good kings, right? Israel had good kings, bad kings, and he had the, the ten northern tribes, two southern tribes. Most of the northern tribes, almost all of them were bad. You had the southern tribes that had a few more good ones, but then they had their bad guys that would come in, and eventually both of them went into exile. But this was, a, if you will, a revival time with King Josiah. And here's what he did. He, 2 Kings 23.10, he desecrated Topheth. Now, Topheth was one of these places where they were sacrificing children to Molech, which was in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, okay, or Valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna. 
Okay, we'll get to that in a second. So that no one could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire to Molech. So what did King Josiah do? He did a lot of great things. And why did, while he was reigning, when he was in power, why did Israel, the, the nation of Israel, why did they flourish? Amongst other reforms, what did he do? He got rid of their ability to mass murder children. What do you think would happen if we did that as a nation today? Could we experience a revival? Could be, right? Jeremiah 32, 35. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, or Gehenna, to sacrifice their sons and daughters to who? Molech. There it is again. Though, here, listen to what God says. Though I never commanded it, of course not, nor did it even enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. Just blows God's mind away. I mean, come on, are you serious? You guys are now murdering children? How far can you go? You, can, you kind of feel it in the text, don't you? Of what God's talking about there, okay? This is why God offered up such stiff punishment. This is why the land got polluted. This is why they were judged. This is why they went off into exile. And a lot of it had to do with this stuff. Now, there's other sins too, but this was a big one. And God repeatedly, more than once, told them, you got to be kidding me. And not only did he hold accountable those who were actually doing it, but those who saw it, knew it, and did nothing about it. How many times do we hear stories about people, the German people, who knew what was going on in the concentration camps, and they did nothing? And we'll sit there, and we'll go, oh, those people, how could they? They knew. They could smell the smoke. They could see the smoke. They could hear the cries. They knew what was going on in those trains, but they didn't speak up. They did nothing. And we'll sit there, and we'll judge them and say, oh, how dare you? What? How sick? But, folks, do we stand up? For the innocent children being murdered by tens of millions. Will we speak up? Oh, no, they might get mad at me or my boss might fire me. or You better remember that verse. It's the same thing that's going on today, folks. The mass murder of children. But notice it was said it wasn't just taking place. It was also taking place, that Tophet that was mentioned there, the Valley of Hinnom. Okay? Okay. The Valley of Hinnom in the Hebrew is Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was the place... That Jesus used, now this is the place where the fires were burning to murder the children, right? With this Moloch, right? Jesus used that place to describe hell. Watch this. This is a great word study, right? Look at this. This is the place. Gehenna was where they did Moloch, child sacrifice. Matthew five twenty two. Whoever shall say, Jesus speaking here, you fool shall be guilty enough to go into where? Now it's translated in the English, hell. But what is it? It's that same place where the children are being sacrificed. But he likens it unto hell. Gehenna, right? Matthew 5, 29. Jesus said, it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna. Matthew 5, 30. Uh, better for you that one of your parts of your body perish than you, your whole body to go into Gehenna. Ten twenty eight. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Matthew eighteen nine. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna. Every single one of these is translated hell. Matthew twenty three fifteen. What do you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites? Because because you make one proselyte twice as much the son of Gehenna as yourselves. Matthew twenty three thirty three. To the Pharisee, Jesus said, "You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of Gehenna?" Mark nine forty three. It's better for you to enter life crippled than have two hands and go into Gehenna into unquenchable fire. Mark nine forty five. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into Gehenna. Mark nine forty seven. It's better for you to enter kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into Gehenna. And Luke twelve five. Fear the one, Jesus said, after he has killed, uh, has authority to cast 
passed into Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, fear him, i.e. God. So here is a hellish practice. Murdering children in the flames of a sick statue. For profit, for personal convenience, for personal gain. And it was taking place in this place called Gehenna. And Jesus says, you want to know what hell is like? Look at that place. Very graphic. God condones it. He does not condone this. He abhors it. Serious punishment is going on. Right? And this is why God told the Israelites repeatedly, don't you dare, don't you dare. Oh, come on. This, I can't, no, don't, don't be a part of this. But they did it anyway, and what happened? See you later. They were exiled. Okay? Now, again, this is what's going on today. And you wonder why, again, the wrath of God is coming on our planet for seven years nonstop. You wonder why our nation is being polluted with so much darkness and immorality, and we ain't seen the last of it, unfortunately. Okay. But another way to demonstrate, right, because this is the game that they play. Remember I said that they, they play that game, the media today, and they use their terminology. It's like the, you know, don't let the people see what's going on. So they did the, the music and the flutes and just it, distract them so they don't see what's really going on. There's another way that they're trying to distract us from acknowledging what this really is, okay? And that is this. What they do is they say, well, we we can't see inside of the womb, or, you know, it's just there. And so somehow, because it's hidden under skin, then that's not a real baby. You know, and again, don't call it a baby because everybody knows what a baby is. We'll call it a fetus. And it's not even a real human. Uh, you, you know, it's just a blob of tissue. Oh, and, and the, here's the latest, one of the latest terms they'll use. They'll say, it's not a viable human. Now, do you understand what they mean by that? They say it's not really human because it's not a viable human. Meaning, if they take that child out of the womb, it can't survive on its own. It's not viable. Therefore, it's not human. Well, let me strip you of all your clothes and throw you out in the Antarctica and see how long you last. Oh, and by the way, when the child gets outside the womb, uh, what do you expect it to do? Go get a job? Drive a car? Go to the store? Shop for its own food? <laughs> what kind of a ridiculous statement that is? But that's an actual argument they make. Oh, it's not really human because it's not viable. Because if you take it outside, then it'll, it, it'll die. So it must not be a human. Are you serious? They're playing the flute, just distracting you from what's really going on. Now, what we're going to deal with tonight, that was all just the intro. What we're going to deal with tonight there is we're going to expose the distraction. That these are real children who are being brutally murdered and torn apart alive or sucked apart or alive or put this saline solution that is meant to kill the child inside and out. We're going to expose that. And one of the best ways to expose that is, did you know that there's many, many people who have survived their own murder attempt? The survivors. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the survivors. Because to me, how do you call that a blob of tissue? That's an adult right now who is saying, I survived my own murder attempt. Do you see what I'm saying? You can play your music all you want. You can distract with your terminology. But these people survived the murder attempt. What are you going to say now? You're going to say they're not viable? That's not a real child? It's a real person telling you they were a real child trying to, to survive being murdered. So I want to share with you some of those survivors tonight. Now, the first one we're going to deal with, okay, uh, is uh, 
uh, Ana Rosa Rodriguez, okay? But what I want to first do is I want to expose to you uh, this excuse that, well, since we don't really know that the child uh, is really a child because it's inside the womb, and that's the game that's played. It's, it's not a real baby. Well, you have no excuse nowadays, right? First of all, it's not true. We know that biblically. Life begins at conception, right? But we also have technology that shows you, even though, yes, it's hidden inside the womb, i.e. under the skin of the belly, okay, it's a real baby. It's a real baby that you're killing. We've gone from, especially today, we've gone from 2D to 3D to now what's called 4D sonograms. There is no doubt, in them, and again, why won't you play this on the media, what I'm about to show with you? If they did, it would be done, but they're distracting everybody. But let's take a look at this technology we have. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, folks, that that child is a real child. This is a viable human, to use their own terminology. This is a real baby. Just because it's under some skin, it's a real baby. But let's take a look at that. The standard common obstetric diagnostic mode is 2D scanning. 2D ultrasounds are standard medical protocol for anyone who is pregnant. Ultrasounds allow a medical professional to take a much-needed look at the developing baby. The 2D standard ultrasound, they rely on sound waves. The sound waves are sent in a straight line until they are reflected back from an object inside the mother-to-be. It then produces an amazing skeletal image of the growing baby on the screen. Recent technology now allows us to capture an image unlike anything before. With groundbreaking, 3D technology, we can now produce a realistic first look of your little wonder. It is one of the biggest things that have come along to pregnant families and it has gone on to become the number one way families bond with their unborn baby. In 3D imaging, the same sound wave technology is used. The only difference is, instead of the sound waves being sent straight down and reflected back as they are in 2D, the sound waves are sent at different angles. The returning echoes are then processed by a sophisticated computer program, resulting in a reconstructed three-dimensional image of your baby. With this technology, you are now able to see more than just that skeletal image. You can actually see whose nose your baby has and who he or she looks like. There's no excuse. And again, that's their distractive thing, just like Molech. Play the flute, play the music. Don't let them deal with reality here or they're going to freak out and all this will crumble. Oh, I just... I'm sure that's just a blob of tissue. That's not a viable human. No, that's a real baby. You know, we all know it. But why wouldn't you share that on the media? You know why? Because you show that on the media and the news station, it's over. It's instantly over because that's a real baby. You should have been listening to God the whole time. I shouldn't have to show you the technology, but we got the technology. You really got no excuse. But they refuse to air it, okay? But again, let's get into those survivors, okay? And the first one we're going to take a look at, again, how do you explain this one? Okay, if that wasn't just a real child and, and that wasn't a baby that was being torn apart, how do you explain that one? The first one is this girl here, Ana Rosa Rodriguez. Now, if you know something about Ana Rosa Rodriguez, she's missing an arm. That's because her arm was ripped off in a failed murder attempt. No, you call it abortion, but it was a failed murder attempt. That's why her arm is missing. 
Okay? Uh, in fact, uh, wait to hear some of the more gruesome details about her failed murder attempt. Watch this. When we first adopted Sheila, about that same time, there was the little story about Ana Rosa Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, this scumbag abortionist uh, named Abu Hyatt in New York uh, had sold Ana Rosa Rodriguez's mom. Had, he had sold her an abortion, her and her boyfriend. He starts doing the abortion. And he pulls out an arm, and he looks at this arm, and he says, wait, Mm -hmm. this baby is further along than I thought. Mm -hmm. I didn't charge enough money. Mm -hmm. Literally, this is what he said. She's on the operating room table. She's there. He He, goes back to and talks to the boyfriend in the waiting room. He goes out into the waiting room, confronts the boy, and says, I need another $500, $800, whatever it was. And the guy says, I don't have any money. He said, we gave you all the money we had to do the abortion. He said, well, that, it wasn't enough because she's further along than, what, me, yeah. than what, we, what we thought she was. So he didn't finish the abortion. Mm-hmm. He dismisses her. He's got this arm of this baby in his abortion mill. That night, she goes into labor mm-hmm. and delivers the baby. Baby's like, I think if I remember, 34 weeks or 35. 38, I think. Well, it was, I know. About 37. Yeah, think, okay, yeah. it was around the mid-30 somewhere yeah. a week. And she was perfectly, perfectly healthy. Without uh, an arm. Other than she's missing her right arm. And I'm telling you, I got a, a picture. And by the way, when they told the story at the hospital where the little girl was born, the authorities went back to the abortion clinic and found her arm mm-hmm. to confirm the story. Found the little girl's arm. And this this uh, sleazeball abortionist, what, oh, that's repetitive. That's, yeah. that's a, yeah, that's no, that's a repetitive statement. Yeah, redundant. it's a redundant statement. They're all sleazeballs. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that show. Yeah, I saw that show with Donahue. And I'll, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. If I could have reached through that television screen yeah. and grabbed him. I would have been right there with you. Let me tell you. He comes on the show and he's holding this girl, yep. this little child. And her mother's there on the panel. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. He mm-hmm. says, look at this beautiful child of God. Oh, God. And he says, now we've got a very emotional show today. And he said, but I want you to make, make sure people understand this does not make a statement about the right to choose. And I'm thinking, if it doesn't make a statement about the right to choose, what does it make a statement about? The little girl has an arm that was pulled off by one of your sleazebag abortionists, mm-hmm. and this doesn't make a statement to you about the right to choose? I, and, I, and like I said, we had just gotten Sheila about that time. And I, I'm making this equation. I'm looking at Sheila, and I'm, and I'm seeing this little picture that I had, and I still have the picture of Ana Rosa Rodriguez mm-hmm. with a big bandage around her top. She's got no arm. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll tell you, it just overwhelmed me. Mm-hmm. With, with sadness and then just unbelievable anger mm-hmm. toward these people. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not right. I know it's not right to have those kind of feelings. And I know that, that God doesn't, uh, probably doesn't approve of, the, of that, that sort of sentiment. But I'll tell you, I can't help it. And I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, a righteous indignation. God yeah. says, in your anger, do not sin. So he's giving us be permission, angry, if not. you will. Be yeah. angry, but sin not. That righteous indignation and contempt that we have for the abortion industry, I think, is God's feeling toward abortion. Hmm. Must be reading the Bible. Because God absolutely abhors it. Wow. Did you catch that part there? He was talking about Donahue. Remember that show? He was talking about Donahue brought on Anna Rosa Rodriguez, held her up to the audience with her missing arm, said, look at this beautiful child of God and then proceeded to make a disclaimer, this has nothing to do with a woman's right to choose. What do you do with that? 
You're holding the evidence in your arms of one who's missing an arm from an attempted murder. Now, believe it or not, that guy, the doctor, and believe it or not, this is from New York Times. This is 1993, and this was in New York when he did this. Oh, how times have changed. But he was actually convicted for this. Watch this. An East Village doctor, I got the actual article. An East Village doctor was convicted yesterday of performing an illegal third trimester abortion, i.e. murder attempt on a baby, when he severed the arm of a baby. Dr. Abu Hayat, what he mentioned, was guilty of assault on Rosa Rodriguez and her baby, Anna Rosa. Okay? The prosecution argued that Dr. Hyatt had cared more about money than his patients. The 64-year-old doctor faces a maximum sentence of 20 and one-third years to 61 years, the equivalent of a life sentence. And what is New York doing now? You can kill them all the way up to birth. Remember the video we showed? And they were applauding it. Oh, how times have changed. Dr. Hyatt was also convicted on two accounts against another patient, a lady named Marie Moisey, on whom he performed an incomplete abortion murder attempt. Uh, Mrs. Moisey's husband, David, testified during the trial that the doctor, he did the same thing to these guys, he said that the price would be $300. He stopped midway through the procedure and demanded an additional $500. Mr. Moisey testified that when he insisted that he could not produce the money, the doctor forced him to leave the office with his bleeding, semi-conscious wife, and the next day, Mrs. Moisey began a week-long stay at St. Luke's Hospital for treatment of severe infection that doctors said was caused by pieces of the dismembered baby left in her uterus. The authorities have described Dr. Hyatt's office at 9th Avenue A as an abortion mill. I wrote in my notes, a Molech mill. More than 30 women came forward to say that Dr. Hyatt botched their abortions, murder attempts on their children, and officials said that his heir during one abortion killed a patient, a 17-year-old girl. But no charges for some reason was brought against that. Wow. Oh, and we haven't even got to the study dealing with the aftermath of abortion. That, Lord willing, will be next time. And the women's lives that are utterly destroyed when they get duped to go along with this and believe it's just a blob of tissue. But that's just the uh, first survivor that we're dealing with there. Okay, there's multiple ones. I'll just only give you a couple. We could be here all night long giving you, again, and, and what's the point? This is to unmask your distraction, your diversionary tactic. Don't see what's going on here. Play the music, turn it up, put your head in the sand. That's not a real baby, Uh uh-uh. How do you explain these people coming out alive? Now, that was a, a baby girl, and we didn't get to hear from her directly, so let's hear from people directly who survived their own murder attempt. Uh, The first one we're going to deal with is Gianna Jessen. Okay, wonderful lady. Uh, Very active in pro-life, obviously. Having been there, done that, survived her murder attempt. But uh, let's see what happened to her, okay? And uh, how do you explain this one? Was she just a blob of tissue? Was she not a viable human? Then what is she doing walking around today telling people what went on? But let's take a look at that. Well, my next guest knows all too well the tragic loss of human potential due to abortions. That's because she was intended to be a victim of an abortion. She was born during a botched abortion, which is considered the only medical procedure that is considered a failure when the patient lives. It left her with cerebral palsy. She was branded by doctors as a hopeless case who would never even lift her head. Boy, did she prove them wrong. She's a marathon runner, a sought-after speaker, 
a singer, and a voice for the truly voiceless. I'm so honored to welcome to the show Gianna Jessen. Gianna, it is an honor, thrilled to have you here. I'm so excited to meet you. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, your story is just incredible. And let's start about when did you first know about the circumstances of your birth? Well, my life has always been unconventional, so I learned uh, that I, I'm adopted, and I learned of this circumstance on Christmas Day at 12 years old. Oh, what and a Christmas present. It was interesting. I would imagine. Uh, <laughs> how, did, how did your adopted parents break this news to you, and, and what did they say? Well, I, my adopted mother was always, I was always asking her, why do I have cerebral palsy? Why? And she always have said, because you're a premature baby or because you had a traumatic birth. And both were true. Mm -hmm. But I was never satisfied with those answers. Always asking over, over, over. And on that day, she said, do you really want to know? And I said, yep. And uh, she let me know. And in a 12-year-old way, I said, well, at least I have cerebral palsy for an interesting reason. <laughs> and... What did happen at your birth? I mean, you found this out at 12, and, and obviously you've been very open and honest about it, but explain what took place when your birth mother attempted to have you aborted. I, I, I would be happy to explain that, but one thing is just really, really bothering me, if I may, sure. and that is I know that right now there are people watching mm. that are flipping out. Mm. They're in their house. They're, they're, they've stuffed down that abortion for 25 years. And how dare that girl sit there and say that she lived through this? How dare she say that? And I just want to say to that person, peace to you. Mm. Um, because I'm a believer in Jesus. And if you'll just give him those abortions and you ask him to forgive you and set you free, he will. Mm. So anyway, uh, my biological parents were 17. My biological mother was seven and a half months pregnant when she went to Planned Parenthood. Seven and a half months pregnant? Yes. And they said, you're too young to have a baby. You need to go have a late-term saline abortion. A saline abortion is a saline salt solution that is injected into the mother's womb. The baby gulps that solution. It is to burn the baby inside and out, blind and suffocate the child. And then the baby is to be born dead within 24 hours. Except, to everyone's great shock and surprise, instead of uh, being born dead, I was born alive at 6 o'clock in the morning, April the 6th, 1977. And it says on my medical records, it's wild to read, born during saline abortion, April the 6th, 1977, 29 and a half weeks, 2 and a half pounds. Uh. And it is common practice for abortionists to strangle a baby that survives, suffocate a baby, or leave the baby there to die. But the only reason I'm sitting right here is because of Jesus Christ and also because he delayed the abortionist. It was only 6 o'clock in the morning. He wasn't at work yet. Had he been there, he would have ended my life. But a nurse called an ambulance and had me transferred to a hospital thereby saving my life. So then they said, you know, this kid's going to die. There's no way she's going to live. Well, I don't die. After not dying... I was placed in emergency foster care with a bunch of morons who decided they didn't like me, so they would shut me in a room for a long period of time. I was taken out of that home, placed in another home, and in a beautiful woman's home by the name of Penny. So by this time, I was 17 months old, 32 pounds of dead weight, and diagnosed with cerebral palsy, which was caused directly by a lack of oxygen to my brain while I was surviving an abortion. 
So you can imagine how I feel when I hear the argument, if the baby is disabled, we need to terminate the pregnancy. Well, who are you, healthy person, to look at me and decide for me what my quality of life is? You have no idea how beautiful my life is because I have something to overcome. Mm-hmm. And because I actually need Jesus. Mm-hmm. So many people are full know. of crap. Yes, they are. <laughs> to be blunt. All right. I'll let you get that one out. How do you deny that? How do you explain that one away? How could you sit there and still say that that's not a viable human in there? That that's just a blob of tissue. She survived her own murder attempt. And in fact, she's a very uh, active today. Just to give you a little background, obviously she is a, a huge uh, pro-life uh, advocate and also disability rights activist. Because again, we haven't even got into that. One of the other justifications isn't just, well, you don't want the child, but they're now being proactive and trying to get you to go ahead and kill your child because there might be a chance that they might be disabled. And who wants one of those kids? Bingo. Right? Uh, so she also uh, campaigned against abortion saying, listen to this statement, she says. This is from Gianna. It's more comfortable for people to think of abortion as a political decision or a right. But I am not a right. I'm a human being. She's uh, done all kinds of activists here in the United States, uh, around the world. In 2002, she was there at the signing of the Born Alive Infants Protection Act uh, at then-President George W. Bush. Uh, she was in London supporting, uh, to helping to reduce the number of abortions under the UK Abortion Act. She's been there at the parliamentary meeting in the House of Commons there. Uh, she was also uh, at the Colorado State House of Representatives. She was in Australia to lobby uh, federal uh, politicians on late-term abortions. The same month, this was back in 2008, listen, she appeared in a political advertisement during the 2008 U.S. presidential campaign, and she said this, quote, if Barack Barack Obama had his way, I wouldn't be here because he wanted no restrictions on the murdering of children. And, of course, uh, he opposed the Born Alive legislation. Uh, And then recently she was a part of the congressional hearings investigating Planned Parenthood after the body parts being sold caused a bit of a ruckus there. Okay. Uh, During her testimony, she said she, quote, would ask Planned Parenthood the following question. If abortion is about women's rights, then where were mine? She's a woman. It's all about women's rights. How come she didn't get any? How come she had to try to survive her own murder attempt? Wow. Interesting. So, again, how do you deny this? The survivors, you can sit there and say all you want. You can ignore the technology. Because you can see it's a baby. But these people are surviving. How do you, how do you explain that? And how, do, how, could you, how could you act like this is not real? How could you still sit there and try to justify it? But let me give you another one. The, the next murder survivor is this lady, Melissa Oden. Okay. And uh, she too survived uh, an attempted murder with a saline abortion. Let's take a look at her account. I had known ever since I can remember that I had been not only adopted, but I had been born about four months premature. 
and I knew that I had been very sick and very tiny and that the doctors didn't have a very good prognosis for my life. And to me, I didn't have a lot of questions about that growing up because I guess to me it didn't matter because I was healthy, I was in a great home, I was loved, and, and life was good. But Melissa only knew part of the story. She was 14 when her older sister got pregnant out of wedlock and considered an abortion. Melissa's mother, Linda, wanted to stop her daughter from having the abortion and told her daughters the shocking circumstances of Melissa's birth. She said, you know, we never meant to keep it from you. There's no easy way to tell you this. Please know that we'll always love you. And then she just kind of blurted it out. She said, you know, Melissa, your mother had an abortion during her fifth month of pregnancy with you and you survived it. In 1978, Melissa's teenage birth mother walked into an abortion clinic expecting to walk out with her problem solved. She chose a saline injection to end the life of her five-month-old baby. When the procedure was over, a nurse heard her two-pound baby crying from the discarded medical waste. Social services knew Mr. and Mrs. Cross wanted to adopt another baby girl but they didn't know if they would take such a high-risk baby. When we first saw Melissa, her head was shaved from temple to temple because she was too little to suck, and they fed her intravenously. Told us all the things that could be wrong with her because of the premature birth, but as soon as they put her in my arms, I knew she was going to be fine. She was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Melissa recovered completely and lived a normal childhood until the circumstances of her birth were revealed. Now questions flooded her mind. The biggest question was why? Why could you make that decision to end my life? You know, could I have been so unwanted and so unloved by them? Even though I knew that Jesus loved me and my family loved me, it could not take away the pain. Melissa is now married and there is no doubt in her mind that God saved her for a purpose. And part of that purpose, she says, is sharing her story of life with the world. And she treasures being a mother herself. I know that that was the Lord's plan for me also, because all those years I just desperately wanted to be a mother. But I was very scared. I had to heal from a lot of pain about my life. And so I, I didn't want to become a mother until I felt like I was whole. Ironically, Melissa gave birth to Olivia in the same hospital her own life was supposed to end. I literally used to drive past that hospital gripping the wheel of my car because it was so hurtful for me to know that that is the building where I struggled for my life. And now I can drive past that hospital with my head held high because it holds the most beautiful memories that I will ever hold in this life. There is no greater gift, I believe, that a woman can give than life to a child. And if she believes that she can't provide for that child forever, that the next best thing that she can do for that child then is to give them the joy of being with another family for adoption. Can I translate that? There's no excuse ever to murder a child, even in the case of rape. If you don't want the child, why does the child always have to be punished? And not just punished, murdered for something it had nothing to do. 
adopt the baby out. The child does not have to die. But she too, she's uh, very uh, active uh, in these circles. Uh, She also is a pro-life public speaker. She's testified before Congress against Planned Parenthood, again for the same thing. Uh, about the baby parts. She's also criticized Barack Obama's voting record on legislation intending to protect infants uh, born alive dear, during abortions, spoken because he was wanting that to actually continue. Uh, other congressional hearings, she's been on all kinds of TV radio programs, American Family Radio, 700 Club, Fox News, The Mike Huckabee Show. Uh, her life story is told in a, a Voice for Life. It's a pro-life documentary if you want more of that. Uh, she's got two nonprofit organizations called the Abortion Survivors Network and another one called For Olivia's Sake. That's her daughter. Um, and the latter is intended to raise awareness of the ripple effect that abortion has on men, women, children, families, and communities. Because, again, it destroys anyone that gets involved with it. Uh, Odin has said that, quote, parents of an unborn child often fail to consider how their decision affects others, saying, quote, my daughter, Olivia, her speaking, Melissa, my daughter would never have had life if my murder attempt had succeeded. She said, my husband would never have a wife if my murder attempt had succeeded. And my adoptive parents would never have had a child if my murder attempt had succeeded. Now, at this point, we're getting ready to close. At this point, you're thinking, okay, this is a slam dunk, right? I mean, there's no excuse. First of all, I don't need technology. I don't need these stories. I need to honor the word of God that says God abhors this, and the scripture is very clear. Life begins at conception. You can say you can't see nothing underneath that skin, but God says it's a baby. Don't you dare even go that route. Don't follow the Molech stuff you got to be kidding me. But now, since we do have the technology, and now you're hearing people who survived the murder attempt, you're going, okay, this is slam dunk. It's over. I mean, who, who would continue with this? Well, folks, believe it or not, it is continuing. Now, it's not only continuing, but just like the people who sacrificed the children to Molech, where were those children? In the womb or outside the womb? We're talking about not just murdering children for profit, for gain, We're talking about murdering children outside the womb. That is where our nation is now discussing this. Now, for those of you who forgot, I'm going to remind you, okay? If you recall what created this, and states are jumping on the bandwagon, believe it or not, in our country, to now have a discussion on killing a child after it's been born. I mean, all killing of children is wrong. But we're actually now at a state where they're discussing, yeah, I think we should be able to have a discussion whether or not to kill that baby after it's been born. Now, that was the fervor caused by Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. Remember him? And I'm going to share you something very deceptive that's gone on. Okay? But he was responding to another Virginia representative, a doctor, who explained that's exactly what the procedure would do, the bill going through that state, and he actually supported it. And here's the actual video clips of their statements that started to cause quite the fervor. Killing children outside the womb. Watch this. How late in the third trimester could a a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the the woman? Or physical health. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm Um, talking about the mental health. So, I mean, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay. But to the end of the third trimester. Yep, I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So, um, 
where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, she has physical signs of, of, that she is about to give a birth, would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman I understand that. that. I'm asking if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions, as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion, even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and and explain her answer. Yeah, and I, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran. But um, I will tell you one uh, first thing I would say: is this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that that are involved. So, in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mothers. What's the discussion? Whether they can now kill that child after it's been completely, fully born outside the womb. That's sick. That's infanticide. Now, it's still infanticide. Hello. In the womb. It's infanticide the whole way through. But our country is now at the point, folks, where they're talking about killing children outside the womb exactly like Molech worship. And we need to speak up. Now, granted, when this first started to air, it started to go out. People started to go nuts. Because this is on tape. I just shared it with you. And he said what he said. Yep, we're going to have a discussion. That's their right to decide to kill this child now outside the womb, fully been born. But did you pick up on what they did? They did a diversionary tactic, just like Molech. Remember, if you can't have people deal with it, we got to play some music, drown out the noise, Look over here, because if they see what's going on, they're going to stop worshiping Molech. The same thing happened. When this came out, folks, it created a fervor, and it started to create a national fervor. But within a couple days, the exact same guy. You know what the media came out with? This. This is the exact same guy. They stopped playing the tape on him saying it's okay for people to murder children outside the womb, and they switched to the blackface controversy. And that's all the media played still to this day. Do you think that's by chance? It's the same guy within a couple days of that video getting out with his statements about murdering children outside the womb. It was done on purpose. I have no problem with saying that. That was not by chance. It was just like Molech. Distract him. Talk about how horrible that is. And they're asking him to get out of office because he had his face painted black, not because he promoted murdering children outside the womb. But nobody's talking about it anymore, are they? Because it created a fervor, and it was going to spiral out of control. But they snuck that in there. Pretty slick, isn't it?
And it's not just slick, it's evil. But one thing it did do, it fired up our president. And our president, folks, you need to support him because he is behind the scenes speaking up for these children. And we need to support him. Watch this. I'm your host, Catherine Hadro, coming to you at the top of the show from the White House, where President Donald Trump today met with an abortion attempt survivor and other pro-lifers who beat the odds just by being born. This meeting comes in the wake of extreme abortion legislation and recent comments by Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, which sounded like a defense of infanticide. President Trump sat down with pro-lifers whom our viewers may recognize from the show, including Micah Pickering, a young boy who was born at just 20 weeks, Catherine Alexander, a little girl adopted after being born with an opiate addiction, and abortion attempt survivor Melissa Odin, whom we spoke with right after the meeting. So tell us about being at the meeting with President Trump. What was that like? What did you get to say to him? It was absolutely surreal, right? I, I described it as someone else of like, you know, you know, you have one of those moments where you're going, you know, I was meant, I was meant to be here today, right? This is what mm. I was called to do. And mm. so um, sitting in that Oval Office with him and hearing, hearing him talk so passionately about his commitment to life and what he's willing to keep doing legislatively to protect lives like mine. Mm -hmm. uh, it's absolutely surreal. I am just so thankful for him and this administration and mm -hmm. the bold moves he continues to make um, so that lives like mine can be protected in our society. What is your impression of what President Trump thinks of this extreme abortion legislation we're continuing to see across the nation? Oh, you can tell he thinks it's just an abomination, right? Mm -hmm. Um, he talked a lot about Governor Northam and his comments in Virginia, you know, about some of the other states making these same aggressive moves against life. And really, I appreciate that he made it a, a battle cry, right, that this is a movement. He kept using the word movement. And I mm -hmm. love that so much. He said, you know, I, he said, I think there's more that's been happening in terms of movement in the last couple of weeks than we've seen in a long time. And it's because mm -hmm. people see what is happening and they're not willing to you know, sit by quietly or remain silent. And so he was just such a great encouragement for all of us um, to be moving in our own communities to stand up in defense of life. Wow. Well, I was right. What a switch from the previous administration. Did anybody pick up on the play of words there? I did. I'll tell them to you. So here we have President Donald Trump, our current president, and he considers this child murder an abomination. And yet when Obama was the head of the nation, talking about an abomination, he supported it. What a flip. A turnaround of events. Wow, I was right. Just when you thought, folks, it was never going to turn around. Were you starting to think that? That we were losing our voice and supporting with children? Folks, there's some good things going on. And we need to speak up. You need to capitalize on this momentum, and we need to get the word out. We need to speak up not only for, number one, the innocent children that are being murdered still as we sit here, but for our own country. Certain laws, there's good signs. I don't have time to get into all of them. Obviously, we've got to close. But certain laws are being passed in certain states that are starting to restrict. Now, I wish there was full restriction, but at least it's a start, okay? But believe it or not, I came across an article on the, on the way just before tonight, and I couldn't believe it. The pro-abortionists, let me phrase it, the pro-murderers of children are starting to get alarmed because they're seeing it's starting to swing in our, our end of the court, which is really God's in the court. Hello. 
And you know what that article, the person said? It almost made me sick. You know what their big concern was? That if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, then she would have to live into, in a country, and here's her words, where she would have to live in a country where there would be forced childbirth. I just read it on the way in. Forced childbirth. Oh, how, how horrible that is. My thing is, if you don't like that, then stay out of the bedroom. Forced childbirth. I can't, I can't believe it. But folks, we need to speak up because these people ain't going down easy. Right? And believe it or not, even at this stage, you still got Planned Parenthood people. We're going to close after this. Planned Parenthood people saying that literally pulling babies apart inside the womb is a humane procedure. Watch this. Ms. Smith, in the precursor to the Gonzalez case, the case of Stenberg versus Carhartt, Justice Kennedy dissented from the decision to strike down the partial birth abortion ban, which was later upheld by, in the Gonzalez case in a, a different ban. A different version, yeah. That's right. He described at length the testimony provided by abortionist Leroy Carhart about the alternate DNA method or dismemberment procedure. The fetus can be alive at the beginning of the dismemberment process and can survive for a time while its limbs are being torn off. Dr. Carhart agreed that when you pull out a piece of the fetus, let's say an arm or a leg, and remove that, at the time just prior to removal of the portion of the fetus, the fetus is alive. Dr. Carhart also has observed fetal heartbeat via ultrasound with extensive parts of the fetus removed and testified that mere dismemberment of a limb does not always cause death because he knows a physician who removed the arm of a fetus only to have the fetus go on to be born as a living child with one arm. At the conclusion of a D&E abortion, no intact fetus remains. In Dr. Carhart's words, the abortionist is left with a tray full of pieces. Justice Kennedy said, the fetus in many cases dies just as a human adult or child would. It bleeds to death as it is torn from limb from limb. Ms. Smith, do you believe this practice represents a humane way to die? Let me separate, which I think is something that's getting confused here in this hearing uh, again and again, which is procedures performed on pre-viable fetuses and procedures that are formed on viable fetuses. Uh, both of the women here on this panel are here today because they were viable at the time the procedures were performed. What you're talking about is pre-viability uh, procedures performed on a fetus that cannot survive outside. Maybe, maybe mother. not. Justice Kennedy was talking about a child that was born alive with only one arm because the other had been pulled off already in the abortion procedure. That's My question right, to you is, are you going to answer it, is this a humane way to die? I believe for a fetus, a uh, pre-viable fetus, yes, a DNA procedure is a very humane procedure and it protects the woman uh, and her health and safety um, more than any other procedure. And in well, fact, it was Ms. substituted Ms. Smith, for the I'm going to reclaim my time procedure. and just say that yeah. I have to say that your view of humanity and mine are different. I think and I will ask Ms. Justin and Mr. Bopp and Ms. Oden very quickly if you support, because you've already answered this question, if you support 
the pain-capable abortion act that has passed the House of Representatives and is awaiting action in the United States Senate? I'm, I'm speechless with Ms. Smith's reply that she thinks that's a humane way to die. I, I, uh, I support. Ms. Oden? Yes, I too support the Pain-Capable Act, and I want to make it clear, though, I, I want abortion to be unthinkable in our country. I want, yes. I want us to not even have to have a conversation about another act. Thank you. I agree. <clears throat> and so does God. The blindness, the darkened heart, that you're actually sitting there with two people who survived a murder attempt, and you still say that's a humane way to die. And you wonder why the wrath of God is coming for seven years nonstop. We need to be like Josiah. We need to not just deal with it, we need to speak up, and we need to stop this now, if revival's ever going to come. How many times do we say, oh, God, bless America? But folks, if this don't stop, God's going to judge America, just like he did the Israelites, for worshiping modern-day Molech, Planned Parenthood. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not... How can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. 
It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, 
I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.